Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. We thank you, Lord, that we're, uh, Lord, that we find ourselves in a place that you bring clarity to our lives. Even the testimonies we hear, the songs that are sung, the, the brilliance of the teachers that you have brought and prepared to teach. We pray, Father God, that today in the house of the Lord, we might find answers to many aspects of our existence and our purpose and our direction. Father, we pray that you would be present as we share these thoughts, as we deliver this message, Lord, and that your grace would be sufficient and abundant towards us, Lord, to not only uh, describe these things and discuss them and share them, but Lord, bring us to the fullness of the knowledge that there is in you concerning these matters and allow us, Lord, to uh, leave our uh, safe havens and, and the, the walls we lift up and, and our pride and appearance of things that are not true, Lord. We want to be genuine before you and we want to know you and your fullness. So bless your word this morning and let it be sent out as a seed that is planted in the hearts. Let it be sent out as a sword that is double-edged. Your word, like a double-edged sword, pierces to the deepest part of our being and there it discerns between the spirit and the soul and being able to testify those things that are of you and those things that are not, removing those things which are not. Lord, we thank you for the definition, clarification, and instruction of your word with which we cannot live because you have said man shall not live by bread alone. And you have said, Father God, that your word serves as a lamp unto our feet. And many times we have disregarded your word and the instruction therein and have gone to other places to receive and to believe things that are lies. But knowing your truth, we shall be set free and we shall come into all that you have for us, Lord. And we can capture the things that are there and made available and delivered by your grace. And we give you thanks for your peace this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we begin today, and we're going back to the basics, understanding that without a foundation, the righteous will perish, as it says in Psalm 11.3. As Jesus tells the man, the church in Revelations 3, he says, go back to your first love. Return to where you dropped off. Well, today we're going to start out with the most basic of understandings. And it's this concept of why even waste our time in believing in God? Why, why would we even walk in that direction? And, and why is it so necessary? And I want to emphasize on the, on the word necessity. And God is not a luxury. God is not a fashion. He's not a fad. He is our need. We cannot live without God. And much less this aspect of why believe in God because whether we believe in God or not doesn't matter with respect to his existence. I was witnessing to a friend of mine who's a lawyer in Miami and for over 10 years I would speak to him about God and about the existence of God and he was just always pushing me to the side, pushing me to the side until one day I walk into his office and he gives me a gift that is written in Latin. It says, uh, um, it says whether we believe it or not, God is present. 
He says, well, Joaquin, quit wasting your time in trying to get me to see that there is a God because even though I don't believe it and I don't see it, that doesn't matter. God still exists. And so not only is that not going to matter whether you believe or not that God exists, um, that's not going to, that's not going to determine whether or not God does exist, but whether you believe it or not will truly determine the quality and the significance and the direction and the provision for your life. To not believe in God leads you in a pathway um, that can only be described as, as sheer destruction and darkness and insignificance and hopelessness and despair. And then you see this uh, really powerful in the lives of those people who have decided to forego the knowledge of God we've been talking about for the last three weeks. They've decided they're not going to walk in that direction. In fact, um, the fool has determined in his heart, Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, the fool says in his heart, he's come to this conclusion, there is no God. And because they have come to that conclusion, they walk into corruption. It, it, it rots life. It says there, the fool says in his heart, there's not, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. So once you start discounting the existence of God, get ready for everything in your life to lose the quality that God brings in understanding his purpose and his design. It brings to you to utter abominable. The only word that I could come up to that sounds like abominable or has the significance of abominable is vomit. It's nauseating. It's that thing which is so disgusting. That's what your life will become when you subtract God from your life. And then there is no aspiration for anything good in the future. And so belief in God is is a direction that begins to lead your life and your understanding into the opposite of corruption, which is incorruption. The opposite of abominable works, it's to do those things that are uh, very adorned with amazing attraction and, and fragrance and pleasing. Um, and then to do things that you never even thought you would do. And so this aspect of once we believe in God, we are on his agenda for great and mighty works. Things eyes have not seen, things ears have not heard. Your life will blow up. He, he only describes it as, I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. And so our life blows up at the magnitude of the worth of this God which is there. And you get on his game plan, you start speaking his words, and you start holding the worth and significance of his existence. So we begin with, the, with this aspect of asking a question. Why believe in a world-changing God? Why believe in God at all? And it's good that we would be asking questions because questions will lead to two aspects. They often reveal what you're thinking and they will determine the direction in which you will go. The questions you ask will determine what your thoughts are and the, the steps in the direction you shall go. So many times we're asking questions, hoping that if an answer comes to the question that we're being asked, our whole life will change from that point forward. 
In fact, if you're ever around children, they love to ask questions. And if you're not careful, they will ask you questions all day. Why is this? What is this? Why is this? What is this? And the more answers they receive, the more clarification they get in the direction they will take. Why can't I run off a roof? Because you'll die. Thank you very much. I'm not going to run off the roof. I asked a good question, got a good answer. It will determine the steps that I take. How sad it is when we don't ask questions because we think we know it all. So we have no direction and we're depleted. And obviously, uh, God is the one who has all the answers to all our questions. You could say amen right about there because that's a good news. God wants to tell you a response for everything that you're concerned about in order to direct your life. And so why believe in God first and foremost? Because he will afford a direction you will have that you will otherwise not have when God does not exist. I wish I could say that the church or a pastor has all the answers to the questions that come up to us. But I'll tell you one thing. I love people who come and ask questions. And when people are asking questions, it's because they've been thinking about a matter. And when they've been thinking about a matter, it's because they're about to make a decision or a choice. And so to the question, why believe in this God, could only be asked by people that are humble and that are meek and that are seeking uh, direction. But those of us that walk in pride and self-sufficiency and we're independent... Uh, there used to be a man, and many of you guys know, some of the younger guys might not know, but he was called the greatest boxer of all time, and his name was Muhammad Ali. And, um, you know, he was a proud man. He was known for his arrogance. He was known for, for, you know, being a very proud and obnoxious man. And one day, he was flying on an airplane in first class, and uh, the, the flight was taking particularly longer than usual. And they were having trouble with the weather conditions. And they determined to announce over the loudspeaker. The pilot came on and he says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are about to enter into a moderate turbulence. Not a mild turbulence, but a moderate turbulence. So please fasten your seatbelts. And so in that regards, as they were announcing that through the loudspeaker... Um, the stewardesses were going up and down the airplane and they were making sure that their passengers were fastly uh, fastened in their seat. And when the stewardess came up to the boxer, Muhammad Ali, and she said, sir, did you not announce, didn't you not hear the announcement over the loudspeaker that we're about to go into turbulence? Please fasten your seatbelt. He said, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. To which the lady responded and says, Superman doesn't need an airplane either. So many times we think that we're okay uh, not believing in God, but God is holding us nonetheless, despite our ignorance, despite our capacity not to listen to him. And so we all have the capacity to begin to ignore God and to run from God and act like he doesn't exist and it also reminds me of this story told by Ravi Zacharias where he says that there was, uh, um, the, there was once a man who got um, shipwrecked in the middle of the seas. And for many years, um, he was stranded on a little island and nobody would be able to find him. And rescuers would go out year after year when the weather conditions permitted. And they couldn't find this man until several years had passed. And having... 
found the man, they noticed that he had made three huts on the island during the time he lived there. And they, they were very curious, thinking that there were more survivors on the island. And they asked him, um, what are those three huts? And he says, well, the first one is the house that I live in. And the second one is the church I go to. And so they were curious, and they said, what is the third hut all about? And he says, that's the church that I left. Because he couldn't even stand himself. And he left that church being the only member of that church. But when we are running from God, we're really taking ourselves wherever we go. And the problem is not other people, and the problem is not God. The problem is us. And you're going to be able to take your problem to wherever you go regardless. But coming to the understanding of belief in God, I want to start out with the understanding that we need God. That we're not just mere accidents here upon the earth. And we're not uh, disconnected from our creator in regards to his uh, showing us in the word of God. How this story relates in its fullness. Um, There was... Some men that say we're no better off than just mere computers. We don't, we don't need to function on the level of God. We don't have to rise to that level of existence. We could just be who we are. And so some men have decided that we're no better than just any machine that exists. And years ago, there was a great big competition between a great chess master by the name of Gary Kasparov. He's a world-class chess master, and they had prepared, IBM had prepared a machine um, that was a computer that was going to play against him in chess. And many people were figuring out what was going to happen. Would the actual machine beat this chess player? Uh, The computer's name, uh, they had called Deep Blue. That was the name of the computer that would, would challenge. And they had recorded all the moves that great chess masters all over the world would make depending on different things. And Gary Kasparov was very nervous thinking that he would lose against this computer. Uh, he finally was able to beat it and it was a big ordeal. And Time Magazine wrote an article about this chess game and the computer. And people were saying, will we ever reach a time where computers will be greater than humans in their capacity to exist and having the sophistication, the the complexity of of being able to walk on the earth and do what humans do? Because some people have reduced us to just pure mechanical, uh, technological existence. And they discount that God exists and is real. And so one of the professors at Yale University, he's a computer science professor at Yale, wrote an article in Time Magazine, and he wrote these things. And he says, the idea that this computer called Deep Blue will ever have a mind is absurd. How can an object that wants nothing, fears nothing, enjoys nothing, needs nothing, cares about nothing, ever have a mind? How, how will we ever think that something that doesn't feel or doesn't act or doesn't perceive things would ever uh, have anything that God has placed in human existence? Yeah, this computer can win a chess game, but not because it wants to. 
It's not, it's not walking on what it wants to do. It isn't happy when it wins. And it's not sad when it loses. Some might ask, what are the plans that the computer Deep Blue have if it beats Kasparov? Is it hoping to take Deep Pink out for dinner at night? No, it doesn't care about chess and it doesn't care about anything else. It plays the game for the same reason a calculator adds or a toaster toast because it's a machine designed for that purpose. The more powerful your computer, the more sophisticated the behavior it can imitate. In the long run, I doubt if there's anything, any kind of human behavior, computers will not be able to imitate or fake. Any kind of performance they can put on, it's conceivable that one day computers will be able to be better than humans at nearly everything. And I can imagine that a person might someday have a computer for a best friend. That will be a sad day, just like those that have a dog as a best friend. Computers might one day be capable of expressing themselves in incredible prose and literary poetry. But unfortunately, they will still be computers and never be able to say anything else. The gap between the human and the surrogate is permanent and will never be closed. Machines will continue to make life easier, healthier, richer, more puzzling, and humans will continue to care ultimately about the same things that they've always cared about. They care about themselves, they care about other people, and ultimately, humans were created to care about God. This is, this is the inevitable. Everybody has to answer this scenario of God's existence and why believe in God. A Canadian writer put together a book that's called Life After God. He was a rebel in the 60s and 70s. They rebelled all out. He's presently still an ungodly man. He's married to another man, and he's known in all the world for his literary expertise. And he writes in this book, at the end of this book, he writes these words. This is a secret that I will tell, and I'll tell it to you with as transparent heart as I know how, that I doubt that I will ever, ever write again. So I pray that you are in a quiet room as you hear these words. My secret is that I need God. I am sick and can no longer make it all alone. I need God to help me to give because I no longer have the capacity to be generous. I need God to help me to be kind because I no longer am capable of kindness. I need God to help me love because I am beyond being able to love anything or anyone. And I want to tell you why believe in God. Because without God, nothing has any meaning. Nothing has any more significance. Nothing has any more value. There's nothing intrinsic in our value outside of God. They have tried to reduce our existence to mere cells a glob of, of flesh that has already been created with, a, with now the purpose and, and the reasoning of a creator. And that's why they, they, 
because they have come to the conclusion there is no God, abortion becomes an answer. And it's just a bunch of cells fleshed together and it's not a person, even when it has a heartbeat. It's amazing the things that men will go through as soon as they have discounted the existence of God. And many will justify, look what believing in God has done. The greatest deaths that have been seen upon the earth have been those that believe in God. But the people who have done the math and the history will tell you that men like Hitler and Stalin and Marxists and unbelieving men who do not believe in God have killed purposely far more greater number of persons as a result of their non-belief in God than those who have believed in God. And this, this goes back to a long time ago. We go back to the 1800s, 1844. There's a young man that who's influenced by the writings of, of evolutionary theory of Charles Darwin. And Charles Darwin says, look, this is my attempt to explain physical, natural progress and phenomena. But it's never a philosophical idea. The day man grabs my, my theory of evolution to take to a philosophical explanation of our existence uh, with regards to the meaning of life, the only end is severe chaos and violence. When you remove the the theory of God's existence in our creation, all that's left is every man for himself, survival of the fittest, a dog-eat-dog world. Nothing has value. You cannot cherish a mother's instruction. You cannot respect a father's existence because it doesn't exist. And these realities only exist as soon as you take the first step in knowing that God exists then you will know what God says and you will embrace the order of God. And anyone who decides to stop believing in God and question his existence begins the disorder and the chaos of all things. It was seen in 1850 with the birth of Friedrich Nietzsche, a German-born young man whose both grandfathers were ministers of their church. His father was a pastor And he looked around on the onset of his existence and saw a whole generation turning their back on God, deciding to not believe any longer in ecclesiastical biblical instruction for our existence. So he came up with the writing that became that which spread all through Europe around the world. And he began to say, God is dead. We, no one actually believes God to be a part of their lives. God doesn't exist, and the reason he doesn't exist is because we have ignored him totally. And this is the travesty with calling yourself a Christian, and philosophically you say you believe in God, but you don't walk with God. You don't let God in your life. You do not receive his instruction as his design for your existence. So he writes this, what became very famous in his time, and it was called the madman. Friedrich Nietzsche wrote this down, and he was trying to explain the culture of his day. And it says like this, Have you ever heard of the madman who, on a bright morning, he's talking about the cultural landscape that they were built. There was God, there was the church, there was the Bible, there were preachers. On a bright morning, this madman lighted a lantern, 
and ran to the marketplace, the secular place outside, and he would tell everyone, I'm looking for God. Has anybody seen God? And there were many people standing there who did not believe in God. And he caused a great deal of amusement. And someone said, why? Is he lost? And as he strayed away like a child, said another, has, has God strayed away like a lost child? Or does he keep himself hiding? Is he, is he not showing himself? Is he scared of us? Has he taken a long voyage at sea? Has he immigrated? And the people begin to laugh. And they begin to, to mock this man. The insane man jumped into, the, into their midst and looked at them very well, glanced in the eyes. And he says, where is God gone? I mean to tell you, we have killed him. You and I have become the murderers of God. But how have we done this? How were we able to drink up the entire ocean? Who gave us a sponge that we might wipe out what we see on the horizon? What did we do when we loosened the earth from its sun? Imagine detaching the sun from the earth. One of the missionaries says, says, look, you can't look at the sun, but without the sun, you can't see anything else at all. And it might be that you cannot see God, but if you don't come to see what God has shined upon us to understand, we won't be able to figure anything out. And we see this in the life of people that have decided to put God away from their lives. Where has it gone? Where has it moved to? Away from the suns. Do we not dash unceasingly? What's, what's dash unceasingly means? We don't have any order as soon as God is out of our life. We move backwards. We move sideways. We run ahead. We move in every direction. Is he still there above? Is there still anything that has purpose underneath? Do we not stray as though we are just total nothing? Does it not empty space breathe upon us? How, does it, how has it not become colder? How has not the night become darker and darker? Shall we have to light lanterns in the morning? That means we, we don't want to listen to God. He's the light of the world. And yet when we are in darkness, guess what we try to do? We try to find answers. We're trying to light a candle. And it's, it's crazy because God has provided our light already. He says, Lighting this lantern in the morning, do we not hear the noise of grave diggers, the consequences of having buried God? Do we not smell corruption breaking out? God is dead. God remains dead and we have killed him. He no longer has a voice in our lives. How shall we comfort ourselves? The holiest and mightiest of the world. The, the, the man who has bled to death under our own knife. Who will wipe away the consequences of having killed the existence of God in our, in our everyday life? With what water could we cleanse ourselves? How shall we figure out these matters? Is it not the magnitude of this deed too intensely great for us? Shall we not ourselves have to become gods? Now, since we don't listen to God, now we're God. 
Now we have to make choices. And guess what? I know that many men says, and I've talked to many men, and they said, the only God I know is me. And all I have to do is talk to their wife, and she'll remind them he's not a God. He's an idiot. And so sometimes we, we jump on that posture. And God wants to be intrinsically involved in our lives. And, and this is one thing that, that really transformed my life. I could not believe God cared. Could not believe God was interested in knowing about an insignificant existence on this earth with the multitudes of people. But he cares and he shows his love and he shows his insistence and his, his spirit is, is pursuing us to such a degree that David says, Lord, where can I hide from your spirit? If I go to the highest hill, there you are. If I go to the lowest depth of hell, you're there. And this is, this is a reality on every front. He continues to say, if we kill God, then we have to become gods. We're the one that's calling the shot. We're the ones that are to lead ourselves. There was never a greater event on account of who we are, born after us or higher in history than the history we have lived. Here the madman was silent and looked again at his hearers, and they were silent and looked at him in surprise. At last he threw his lantern on the ground, so he broke it in many pieces, and, he, and it was extinguished, And he says, you know something? I've come too early. I am not yet at the right time. Still, a lot of things have to grow worse before you understand what I'm saying. It has not reached men's ears yet. Lightning and thunder need time. Light of the stars need time. The deeds need time. Even after they are done, to be seen and heard. The deed is as yet further from their furthest star, and yet they have, done it, they have done it in themselves. It is further stated that the madman made his way into different churches on the same day, and there intoned, let God rest in peace. When led out and called to account, he always gave the reply, why are these churches existing now if they are not only the tombs and the monument of a God that once existed. What's he saying? That even the churches nowadays don't have people that believe in God, that live with God, that desire God, that want God in their life. And so we see here that he says there are only tombs and monuments of people that don't believe in God. What happened to Frederick Nietzsche after he wrote all these theories and these philosophies of God's death and non-existence, describing the landscape of European philosophy in his time, at the age of 30 years of age, he went crazy. He was stricken to bed. He would only, uh, from time to time, he would have five weeks where he wouldn't say a word, and then all of a sudden he'd jump up on his bed, and he would blurt out the scriptures he learned as a child when he was going to his grandfather's church and his father's church. But he became totally insane. He began to write books contrary to God. And so we see that as soon as we stop understanding our need to believe in God, our values, our worth, our agenda, our, our purposes, our goals, our treasures are totally wiped out. Because all these issues have their origin in God. Without God, there's total depravity, chaos, nightmare. It becomes totally irrational to live. Why be faithful to a wife? Why honor a husband? Why pursue the instruction of our parents? Why be obedient children? Because of the promises of a God who exists, that things will go well with us, 
that will live a long life. When a person decides God does not exist, we have no more need for preachers. For those that would proclaim to us the word of God. I've been going to many families for years saying, I'm here to... to, um, I'm here to say goodbye and farewell. And they tell me, why? Because you don't want a pastor. You're not interested in a man of God. You don't want to know the heart and the counsel of the Lord. So I, I do not want to be uh, meddling into your life. I don't want to be imposing my existence. My only existence is to represent the God. And I say, I don't work for Coca-Cola. I don't work for McDonald's. I don't work for an industry that I'm entitled. I represent the God of the heavens. I speak his words. I pronounce his, his understanding. I have to tell you the boundaries and the markers of those that stand to receive the blessings of God. The fundamental questions of life are totally removed once we decide we don't want anyone to tell us the way we're to walk. There are no markers. There are no boundaries. There's no way that we're deprived of what we're receiving. A father means nothing. A family means nothing. There is no right and no wrong. There is nothing good. There is nothing bad. There is no God. There is no laws. There's no purpose. There is no accountability. There is no one speaking from the heavens. And I don't understand if you realize that from the beginning, it is God who has held us accountable, God who instructs us, God who leads us, God who who wants to reveal himself. And from the beginning, he's asked this question, where are you? Where are you? That's the first question God asked in the Bible. You kill that voice, then it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you've been. But that voice is speaking and it wants to put you in the reference of his existence for his plan and purpose. This is the very beginning. God wants to hold us accountable. We want to raise the volume of the concerns of this world, of the economy, of, of, of social existence, of, of family matters. I can't even tell a family that's being destroyed. And I'm, I'm trying to ascertain the ability to communicate and deliver to them what's going to fix their problem, but their problem has become louder than their ability to hear from God. And all we have to do is, is quiet ourselves and become still and say, Lord, the God of all creation, the God who gave me his son, the God who loves me and has promised never to forsake me, speak to me, lead me, direct me. And there's not a season in my life since I've come to God that he's not spoken so incredibly clear. How awesome that when we come into this relationship, God will show us time and place. He will do the miraculous, the, the unbelievable. And he tells, he tells man, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Where are you getting your instruction from? You know, the sad thing about not believing in God is that we believe anything that else that is not God. And so your friends will say, ah, you go to church, you believe these things, you're a fool. And then you ask them, where do you get what you believe? Where did you learn what you have come to a conclusion as? 
And they, will, they won't have an answer for that because every day they are like the waves of the sea. They have no trajectory. They're blown everywhere by circumstances. The people who felt that a political party or a president was their answer only to find out within three to four years that they made the most horrible mistake. They, they didn't understand. They didn't see the way God sees, the way God understands. And God asked another question. Who told you you were naked? He, he asked you another question. Have you done what I commanded that you not do? Genesis 3. In verse 9, he says, where are you? Where are you? Isn't it awesome that God holds us accountable? I know he does me all the time. The words I speak, the places I go, the people I hang out with, the decisions I make. He wants to be a part of the game plan. He wants to be in my life. He's interested in knowing where we're at. Aren't you glad that he does? Because the greatest travesty of man, of of thinking that he's in the meaninglessness of nothingness and nothing matter and nothing. When, when When he sends his son into the world, the God, the creator, and he sows his son into our, signif- into our existence, that in itself is the value of our worth. We are worth the dying of the son of God. In this manner, God so loved the world. Well, how, how much does he love me? He was willing to give his son. And so those who believe in this become sons of God. See, if I didn't believe God, I wouldn't be a son of God. And so I don't walk in the dignity of a son of God. I don't speak like a son of God. I don't act and conduct myself like a son of God. And how foolish it is that in this world there are sons of Satan who reflect the glory of this world when we were made in our existence in the image and likeness of this God. And so I can tell the young people I talk to, I can tell uh, people that, that I want to come and bring a message, you are not like the world. You're not insignificant in value. I had a young man ask me this week, why can't preachers preach with holes in their clothes? Why? And I'll tell you why. Because that's not who God is. The tearing of clothes is only a a process in the Old Testament when you were uh, down and frustrated and fed up with life, you would rip your clothes. So in the dignity of God, and even when I began to preach, I remember I used to come real comfortable. I didn't wear a tie, I didn't wear a suit. I came very comfortable because I wore a tie and a suit in my law practice every day. So on Sunday, I would come comfortable until a man of God says, Joaquin, you represent an office. The God you believe in, now you're, you're taking a place of high honor. Give honor to your office. And so I began to dress my best because I remember going to court without a tie and the judge would say, please get out of my courtroom. I'm like, what happened? You are holding this place in contempt. You are shameful that you would come before me to advocate without the proper clothing for this tribunal. Hey, Molina, yes, sir. Are you on vacation? No, sir. Why? Get out of my courtroom. You don't come in here looking like that. And so we've lost it. We've lost the dignity of God. And when we come to know God and we approach his holiness, we will be more transformed into the image of his existence. 
Our words are different. Our thoughts are different. Even responding to this word of where are you? Well, who's, who told you? Where are you getting your information from? Because if you don't get it from God, you're going to get it from other people. Verse 13, he asked man, he asked a woman, what is this you have done? He holds the man accountable first, and then he tells the woman, what, what are you doing? What is this that you were promoting? What is this that you were speaking? Why were you speaking what was not my word? Why were you drawing lines and directions that were not my directions? Why didn't you seek my counsel? And they allowed someone else, the devil, the serpent, to come and to question God. Has God said? Why listen to God anyways? Deception begins when we fail to acknowledge God exists. And he's in every, I'm going to tell you guys something. He's in every aspect of our lives. He He directs our every step. He gives us our every breath. He fills us with everything we'll ever need, with the joy, with the peace. He gives us all things. He pours out his love. He tells Cain in chapter 4, verse 6, after Cain offers a sacrifice, he comes up to him and he says, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do what is right, will you not fall within my acceptance? You'll be approved. Things will work out. If you do not, if you do not do according to who I am and what I exist, then the only thing that's left is the destruction of sin. And its desire is for you to take dominion over you. He asked them for his brother. Where is Abel, your brother? And you like the fact that God cares not only about you, but on those people that surround you? But which, if God did not exist, we could care less about anything or anybody. I wouldn't be in this place right now if it wasn't for God. And I'm here not because he cares for me, but because he has put a burden in my heart to care for you. And my desire that no one should should be lost from the blessings of knowing and coming to God and having a relationship and hearing from him. What have you done? Where's your brother? A God that holds us accountable. I want to tell you something. If you don't want to be accountable by God, he doesn't force you. He doesn't obligate. He's not imposing his will. When he asks you, where are you? Only you can reply like it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Lord, here I am. Only you could respond for you. Only you can respond for coming to understand the existence of an incredible and faithful God and that his walk is a personal walk and his words are so personal to you. And it says there in Hebrews 10, verse 7, I said, here I am, Lord. In the book, it's written of me. I have come to do what you desire. I have come to listen to you. I've come to receive you. When God asks this question, where are you? And we can respond, we are here. And we're here for good. And we're here for God. We are here to be touched and transformed and shaped by his spirit. We are here to change the world. And our belief in God is not a waste of time. And our belief in God begins to answer questions and put life together. And yeah, some men have chosen not to believe. And the glory of their lives reflects their inability to believe. 
A man walked in my office. I'll always remember his name, Cesar Lopez. And he comes into my law office about 10 years ago and he says, I've been, there's this very wealthy family, Cuban family here in Miami. He says, I've been shopping around for a lawyer for my mom. I have to bring her and take her and I notice that you're one of these lawyers that I want and you have a ramp into your office so it makes it easy for her wheelchair but there's only one problem I have. I notice that you have a Christian symbol outside your office next to your name, real big gold fish. And I notice that you believe in God, but I don't. I'm an agnostic, I'm an atheist. I said, sir, I have no problem with you not believing in God to come into my law practice. The only thing is I will use my Christian ethics and character to represent you only on that which is above board. And if that's not a problem to you, I don't have a problem that you don't believe in God. He says, no, because see, I'm schizophrenic. I'm manic depressive. I have bipolar disease. I have attempted to commit suicide. I have, I have had uh, quadruple bypass surgery. I've had heart attacks. And I said, sir, I, I know. I know that you reflect the glory of that which you do not believe. You have not gone to God. You don't have the peace of God. And until you come, we became very good friends and made many opportunities to share with him, but he stayed in my practice until I retired. And he would always like to come in and he would like, uh, and I told him, I'm not offended that you're an atheist as long as you're not offended that I preach to everybody. Even the bugs and the roaches in my office have to hear that God is king and Jesus is Lord. And if that doesn't bother you, and he says, I'll put up with it. And so we have the understanding. The next time somebody tells you why you believe in God, you have some more understanding of we're not believing in some fairy tale and some la-la land and we're wasting our time and being stupid. We have been given the greatest gift, which is the knowledge of God. And the reason we believe in this world-changing God is because we uh, will come into his salvation, we will come into his knowledge, his purpose, his significance, his worth. That's when I started respecting my father. That's when I started respecting the authorities at school. That's when I started respecting even the relationship with my clients. The first day I was in my law practice and I said, oh yeah, I finally got my bar license. I've become certified. I'm gonna make money like crazy. And the Lord says, you're not here to make money. You're here to serve people. If that voice had not come into my life, my law practice would have been a destruction. My life would have been a destruction, even being a Christian. So this is not just one step in that direction, but it's a continual step. And to this day, God continues to speak to me, to instruct me. The Bible says a wise man loves the instruction of the Lord. A fool has no appetite for it. Let's stand this morning. And so you thank God and you serve that God. And you're here on Sunday morning, not because some church tells you you have to be, but because you want to honor the God of heaven. You want to serve the God of glory. You want to be grateful in the expressions of his blessing and prosperity over your life. And this is why we walk in this direction. And it says that through Jesus Christ, he's opened up a new and living way so that we might have access and fellowship with this God. So if you have not received Jesus Christ... If there was some reluctance to get and become part of the church or get around a church family or a ministry family, I encourage you.
I'm not asking you to believe in pastors. I'm not asking you to believe in churches. These things exist because God exists. The preaching of God's word, it says in the Bible, is foolishness. It's crazy, but it's what God chose to bring us his instruction. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. But he says through the power of preaching, he will make the proclamations of his truth. And he will prepare a church that will be glorious, a bride without spot and wrinkle. And we're in this journey to be more and more faithful to this God. Sad that some men want to attempt to be faithful to me. Sad that they think they come here because if I call them or don't call them. And they don't cherish the God in whom they have believed. They do not serve. They do not prepare themselves for the eternity that lays ahead in that reality as God has told us through the word of God. So I'm, I'm reluctant from time to time to tell somebody what to do and how to do. I had a millionaire once come up to me and says, how much money should I give the church? And I said, I refuse to give you the value of the God you serve. I know what I'm giving my God. I'm giving him the best and I'm giving him it all because he deserves it. I know what the value I have in this relationship that has brought me and my wife into something that would never have existed without the belief in God. I know the value of having my children follow, serve, and believe in this awesome, amazing, faithful God. But I don't know what that is for you, but we went back to the basics to lay this as a foundation. Go back to that. Go back to the first premise of why you started. How did it come? I guarantee you one thing. He loved you before you'll ever love him. He's the one that was looking for you. You weren't looking for him. Father, we thank you today for what you have done in this place. We give you thanks for everything we've heard, Lord. I hope we don't grow up to be as stupid as proud men who think that they don't have to fasten their seatbelt when it's you, your airplane they're riding. I pray that you would bring us into the knowledge and fullness of your existence and your worth and serving you and blessing you and knowing you and that this is not just an experience because our wife makes us to go to church, that this is not an experience because the pastor finds it nice that we go to church. The church is your creation, the place of your people where they worship, where they serve you, where they get prepared to be a light and a beacon to this world to be an example, not only in word, but in deed, that our lives reflect who you are, that your glory, which is the character of your existence, would be all over our lives, Lord, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name, and the house of God says amen. amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord. Amen.